Okay, hello. Uh, my name is uh, Stefan Zimmerman. I'm an associate professor here at Hopkins uh, Radiology, working with Dr. Fishman. And today I'm going to talk about uh, or continue our discussion about um, CT evaluation of the post op aorta in patients with aortic aneurysms. And this is uh, part uh, two of two. Um, so, the previous talk we focused on endovascular repair, and now we're going to talk about open aortic repair. Um, and so what does that mean exactly? That means that, very simply, the, the native aorta has been replaced by graft material, um, usually some sort of Gore-Tex uh, thing uh, that gets put in place um, instead of the native aorta. So very simple, you know, if you have an aneurysm, the surgeon goes in and cuts it out and replaces it with this graft material. Um, there are some important imaging features of grafts and of patients who've had open aortic repair that are important to keep in mind so you know what you're looking at on CT. The first is that um, the graft material is actually relative, relatively hyperdense on CT, so it's not as bright as contrast, but it's brighter than the normal aortic wall. Um, usually this is not really something you can pick up on post-contrast imaging, like a CT angio, but if you're doing non-contrast imaging, you can definitely see that the graft material itself is gonna be brighter than the normal aortic wall. Another thing to keep in mind, and we'll show some examples of this, is that there are oftentimes pieces of little little squares or rectangles of felt that are used at, or at and around the anastomoses, um, which are also hyperdense. And so um, one thing you might see is a little square of felt. The other thing you might see, which I'll show in the next image, is a ring of felt that's actually um, used to suture together the ends of the graft with the, the native tissue, and that's also hyperdense. Um, <clears throat> Sometimes it can be tough to know whether or not a patient has actually had a, a, a graft replacement. And, and one of the clues that you use to, to try and determine that is if you see this kinked appearance of the aorta, then that's really something unique to a graft. That doesn't happen with a normal uh, native aorta. And so if you see that, you know you have a graft. And then the other appearance is this tubular appearance. Generally, aortas, although you know, typically fairly round and symmetric in appearance, usually they're not so tubular, especially in patients who have aortic disease, um, you know, the, the tubular kind of uniform appearance that we see with the um, aortic grafts is, is um, another sort of a calling card of, of a graft replacement. And then lastly, um, another imaging feature we'll see is fluid around the graft itself, and we're going to talk about that um, uh, a few slides down the road here. So first, um, some images of these normal findings that I just discussed. This uh, upper left-hand image, um, you see the hyperdense graft material um, shown with the arrows. And then the bottom left image actually shows you this nice felt ring, um, which is shown with arrows as well. So that ring, that hyperdense ring, um, is, is this felt material that shows up really nicely on CT. And that middle image, you can see it on a kind of a coronal oblique view. You can see both edges of the ring, which um, we see kind of on FOSS in the bottom left-hand image. <clears throat> on the right side, we see a couple coronal images from a, a Hopkins patient. You can see on the non-contrast image on the left, again, the, the graft material, which is going the whole length between the arrows, both uh, the superior arrows and the inferior arrows. You can see that graft wall is bright on the non-contrast images. And then the yellow arrows themselves on the left side are pointing to the two anastomoses, that sort of thicker, brighter stuff, which is that felt ring. Um, and then on the right side, that arrow is pointing to a kink in the tubular part of this graft, so another way for identifying the presence of a graft and distinguishing it from normal uh, native aorta. 
<clears throat> so it's important to know uh, what kind of surgery the patients had, if you can. Um, obviously, you know, we don't always get all the information for the patients, but if it's available in the operative note, um, you want to get as much as, uh, information as you can before interpreting the images. Um, we're going to talk, um, focus now on aortic root repair because we see a lot of that. Um, and these uh, repairs um, have one, you know, potential, com not say complication, but their potential, um, you know, variant, I guess, where not, you may have a situation where you don't have just the graft tissue, but you have what's called a composite graft, where you have both graft and a actual replacement valve. So um, these composite grafts contain a prosthetic aortic valve, and then they have a section of graft material for replacing the aortic root. Um, and that's really, really common in the ascending aorta. Um, and then the other thing that's important to know and, and evaluate when you're looking at aortic root repairs is the coronary reimplantation. So generally the coronaries have to be reimplanted um, or maybe bypassed by some sort of vessel, and so we need to make sure to keep a close eye on that. There are a couple different kinds of uh, aortic root grafts. One's called an interposition graft, and this is very simply a graft where you take out the aorta um, and you replace it with a piece of graft material. The inclusion graft is a little stranger where a little funny you to actually put a graft in place but then you leave the native aortic root in place and wrap it around the graft and you get this fluid in between the graft and the, um, uh, and the native aortic root itself. So here's a standard interposition graft. You see um, this patient had in the middle image had an uh, aneurysm, and then it was resected and replaced by the graft material. The right-sided image, you can actually see a um, sort of a cartoon image of the felt rings that are used for suturing the graft into place. And on the far left image, you're going to see the small arrowheads pointing to these felt rings. The other thing you can appreciate is the kinked appearance of the um, ascending aorta. Um, that posterior wall of the ascending aorta uh, is kinked, um, which tells you that this is, in fact, uh, a graft. Um, so the, uh, besides the aortic root repairs, the other type of repair to think about um, and that we'll encounter a lot is the aortic arch repair. And I spend a little extra time talking about it now because it is a little complicated. Um, and so what is uh, the aortic arch repair? Well. Um, it's, you know, simply just an aneurysmal aortic arch getting replaced by graft tissue, but for, uh, but what makes it interesting is that um, it's never really quite that straightforward. They usually do these procedures um, as a stage procedure where they replace both the aortic arch and the descending thoracic aorta because in general for most patients these areas are diseased. Um, both the arch and the descending thoracic aorta end up being diseased and need to be replaced. So this is um, uh, this is done through a procedure called an elephant trunk repair. Um, and so this is a two-stage procedure uh, for repairing arch and descending thoracic aortic aneurysms. And like I said, if we see arch repairs, generally this is the, the route they take. Um, the first stage is actually the repair of the arch itself. So you um, uh, do this graft repair of the arch. Um, and you have this um, interesting situation where the distal end of the graft is actually not sutured into place, but rather is free-floating inside the descending thoracic aorta and can look like a dissection. And I'll show some examples. And then the second stage is actually the completion stage where you take that free-floating end of the graft and then you um, basically uh, incorporate it into the native aorta either through an additional graft anastomosis or an endovascular stent. So here's uh, a visual representation of, of what I just discussed. So on the left-sided image, we see the 
the arrow is actually an image of some uh, surgeon pulling on this graft. Um, and so this part that's being grabbed by the forceps in this image is actually the arch part. Um, and on the right hand side, you see that that arch part now has been extended and attached to the ascending aorta. And also, there's uh, the um, arch vessels have been implanted into a hole made in this graft. So this is stage one. This is the repair of the aortic arch. Um, and you notice in the little box in the upper left-hand image, you see that there's the suture line has actually been made in the middle of this graft rather than the distal end of this graft. So the attachment to the descending thoracic aorta is actually an attachment to the middle of the graft rather than the, the uh, distal edge of the graft. And so that leaves these free edges floating in the descending thoracic aorta, which you can kind of see on the um, left-sided image. It's The aorta has been made a little bit translucent, so you can see the distal edge there for um, uh, in the uh, descending thoracic aorta. So um, this creates a sort of an unusual imaging appearance, um, which you see here, where the free edges of the graft itself, which are floating within this aneurysmal segment of the descending thoracic aorta create this line which looks you know for all the world like a dissection so this is the main point here is that if you have a patient with elephant trunk repaired don't call this a dissection it becomes very confusing for anybody who's reading the report um, the patient you know almost certainly did not have a dissection going into the repair and then you tell them it was a dissection after the surgery then people get very concerned that there might be some sort of surgical complication, etc. So this is the normal post-op appearance. What can get really confusing is that upper left-hand image you see that that is the proximal aspect of this um, elephant trunk graft and it's surrounded by a low attenuation material and it's probably thrombus. So you can actually get thrombus in the lumen of the aorta surrounding this tubular part of the graft which generally is more proximal but probably doesn't cover the whole thing. And so you get thrombus proximally, then you get these free edges distally, and it looks very confusing, like you have a thrombosed dissection proximally, which is patent distally, and that's how these often are read if um, people aren't paying close attention to the surgical history. Here's a, some 3D images of the same patient, and you can see on the sagittal view, I think shows it really nicely. Uh, on the right side, those two arrows point to the actual, that, that's that telescoped portion of the graft that's floating in the descending thoracic aorta. Um, and you can see actually there's a nice kink in the graft, so you can tell it's definitely not native aortic tissue. And this is the thing that later on in stage two, the surgeon will go and tack down that distal end either through resection of the uh, descending thoracic aorta or actually um, an endovascular stent. So this is a pictorial representation of that process. So in this case, they're going in um, and resecting the diseased part of the aorta. Um, so they cut it out in the upper left-hand image, and then they find that free edge of the elephant trunk and suture it into place. Um, and then your final product is depicted on the right side. Again, this can be done one of two ways. This is the open repair way, and then there's an endovascular repair way where instead of opening up and cutting out the descending thoracic aorta, they go in with an endovascular stent and use the stent to tack down the distal end of this um, free-floating uh, elephant trunk. Okay, so that's the that covers the uh, ascending aortic repair and aortic arch repair. Now, what about AAA repair? So, um, AAA repair is a little different in that the aneurysm um, sac itself is never resected. Um, so the graft is put into place, but then the aneurysm uh, sac is left in place and wrapped around the aorta. 
This helps prevent adhesions to the adjacent bowel um, and other structures like ureters and so on. Um, and so you get this appearance, which you see on the bottom left, where you get this nice tubular graft filled with contrast surrounded by fluid density and this kind of deflated balloon appearance where it looks like the aneurysm is kind of just shrunken down. And, and that's what you expect and want to see. And ideally, you'd like to see that aneurysm uh, decrease in size over time. You can see the um, uh, four months later, you can see that it's uh, shrunken quite a bit. So uh, now, uh, now we've seen you know the different types of graft repair in the different parts of the uh, body, both the chest and abdomen. Let's talk about some of the normal post-op findings. Um, so perigraft fluid we just touched on in the abdominal aorta. Um, this generally is going to decrease in time. Um, occasionally, you may come across patients who, for whatever reason, their perigraph fluid doesn't change. It stays stable. Um, the thought is that these patients may have some type of reaction to the graft material, and so they don't uh, really ever resolve this sort of inflammatory reaction. It just sort of hangs out and stays there. But nonetheless, as long as it's staying uh, persisting and not getting worse, that's, that's fine. It's not really going to harm the patient. Um, things you want to look out for are increasing size of paragraph fluid or new hyperdense material, i.e. contrast or, or blood, um, because that would indicate some sort of anastomotic leak. Um, air is another normal post-op finding, and we see a lot of that um, in the immediate post-operative phase. Um, the, the timing is always tough. You know, sometimes you see a case where there's some air and you don't know, you know, it's been a week or two after the surgery, is this normal or abnormal? Um, the general rule of thumb, three months later after surgery, certainly you shouldn't see any air, and air should not be increasing. Um, what about if you're within that three-month window? Then it's kind of, you know, it's a bit of a judgment call. Um, sort of depends a little bit on how much air. If it's a really extensive, then it seems like that's more likely to be outside of the range of normal. If it's just a few bubbles of gas here and there, then you're probably going to let it go and chalk it up to normal post-op findings. And then we talked a little bit already about the surgical material. Um, make sure to keep out, keep an eye out for that in, in patients who are post-op. So here's a nice example of what we would typically expect to see for perigraph fluid. Um, this patient has, you know, this cuff of fluid surrounding the ascending aortic graft. Uh, four weeks post-op, that you know, decreases significantly in size three years later, although it doesn't completely resolve. Now this is an interesting case. We had a CT, uh, and this patient had a, a fairly sizable amount of fluid around the ascending aorta, and he was 10 years post-op. So this brings up all sorts of concerns about whether or not you know this patient has is having a leak um, because this is a quite a bit of fluid um, and particularly quite a bit for somebody who's 10 years out but it turns out that the patient actually had been getting serial imaging a lot of them with MRI um, and when we look back uh, sure enough this amount of uh, paragraph fluid has been normal for this particular patient um, and going back many 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 years um, so for whatever reason they've developed this situation where they have this sort of stable um, paragraph fluid, it's not going away, it's just staying the same, it's not harming the patient, but it is a little bit outside the typical range of normal appearance. Now this is what we want to look out for. This patient has increasing paragraph fluid and then also has these arrows pointing to this little blobs of hyperdense material. So it turns out that that's a leak and, and when we look down lower on, on the patient we see this felt material and then we see some contrast leaking out around the felt and so this is an anastomotic leak. In this case actually um, I believe this was a piece of felt uh, that was used um, for a cannula site which we'll talk about in a second. Um, and uh, so those are oftentimes a site of potential weakness and can be a site for pseudoaneurysm and leak formation. 
So what are some of the complications that we look for when people who've had open repair? Um, pseudoaneurysms and dehiscence or leaks are the things that we mostly worry about. And this is basically, you know, the, the, the patient has the graft sutured um, from uh, native uh, aortic tissue is sutured to the graft tissue. And so you're looking for some breakdown in that suture. Um, and then the other thing is, that, like I t talked about, you can have pseudoaneurysms at various sites in the aorta where they've done surgery um, to put cannulas or things like that. And I'll show you an example of that later. Um, coronary osteoaneurysms are, are interesting uh, things that can happen, uh, particularly in patients with connective tissue disease. And I can, I'll show you an example of that. Uh, graft thrombosis is pretty unusual. Um, so generally these grafts, the, the flow through the aorta is obviously very high flow. So um, it would be pretty unusual to get graft thrombosis, but it, it can happen. Um, uh, if, for instance, there's a graft, say, um, you know, maybe an iliac artery graft or something where there's a stenosis upstream and they're not, it's not getting a lot of uh, flow. Aortoenteric fistula is something particular to abdominal aortic grafts, and we'll talk about that. And then you always want to keep your eye out for new aneurysms outside the graft as well. Um, so here's uh, a really nice image from a, a, a paper written by one of my colleagues here, and uh, Dr. Fishman. Um, Linda Chu wrote this and published it in AJR several years back. And, a really nice uh, pictorial example of the various sites that one can get into trouble in patients who've had uh, open aortic repair um, or any type of surgery requiring cardiopulmonary bypass. So this would uh, qualify for patients, for instance, who've had cabbage uh, as well. And, and what happens when you go on cardiopulmonary bypass is they have to put these cannulas into your aorta to, to, um, to provide flow, uh, blood flow around the spot where you're, um, you know, uh, ligating or, or occluding the aorta. So, for instance, you know, this cannula labeled with D is providing flow to the aortic arch and the next vessels, and just below D in the operation, they'll have a big clamp across the aorta, so there's no flow going retrograde as they work on the heart and do whatever repair needs to be done. So when these cannulas are removed, it you know, leaves obviously a big hole in the aorta, and those, those holes are sutured up oftentimes with the small pieces of felt, which I talked about, and, um, and suture material, and those are potential areas of weakness down the road. And so any of these sites, which are shown here, you know, A through E, are potential areas of weakness that could form pseudoaneurysms and things we need to look out for uh, when we're reviewing these cases. Here's an example. This is a patient uh, post-repair for Marfan's, not too far out from the initial repair. You can see bubbles of gas. So this is um, sort of a, 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 um, a post-op complication in the uh, relatively immediate post-operative uh, phase. And you can see this blob of contrast material outside of the aortic lumen, which then increases on the venous phase images. And sure enough, this was a pseudoaneurysm and leak from a cannula site. Here's um, another example of a pseudoaneurysm and dehiscence, and this is from a prosthetic aortic valve, a composite graft, where you have a prosthetic valve attached to the aortic uh, a root graft. And um, these we can see quite commonly, and they often can be many, many years out from the surgery, um, usually associated with infection. Um, some type of bloodstream infection. Uh, and these patients almost always have positive um, 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 uh, blood cultures. Um, and so what you see is you see uh, contrast outside of the aortic lumen, which seems to be originating from the annulus where the uh, aortic valve prosthesis has been attached to the uh, left ventricle. And so that arrow on the left-hand image shows you that. 
there. And then as we look down on the axial images, you see these blobs of contrast, kind of uh, um, ill-defined blobs of contrast around the aortic annulus. And that's because of a leak um, at the attachment site of the uh, aortic uh, valve. Here's another example of, of this type of complication. Again, you see um, uh, the arrow is pointing to contrast that's outside of the lumen of the aorta. Um, uh, and then the origin on that um, sort of sagittal image seems to be from the uh, annulus where the uh, prosthetic aortic valve has been sutured into the, um, to the heart. So that was a leak at the actual uh, aortic annulus and the anastomotic site for the uh, prosthetic aortic valve. Here's another leak at one of these cannula sites, um, which we saw in that figure. This is a common location for a cannula site, which is just on the inside, or excuse me, just on the outside of the aortic arch, um, right near the origin of the nominate artery. There's oftentimes that's a, a place where they put their cannula, and that's a site of potential weakness. And sure enough, in this patient, it led to a big uh, leak uh, and uh, pseudoaneurysm formation um, with basically bleeding into the mediastinum. Another example, this is a different patient who had a similar problem. We can see this bleed. Um, in this case, uh, the bleed actually, I believe, was from an injury um, to the pulmonary artery, but it's a similar location. And again, it was a post-op complication where somebody accidentally nicked the pulmonary artery um, and you develop this uh, pseudoaneurysm. Excuse me, the, uh, the aortic arch. This is the example here. The uh, aortic arch, not the pulmonary artery, was uh, injured in this patient. We can get these pseudoaneurysms um, also down in the abdomen, so they're not uh, unique to uh, thoracic aortic repairs, but rather anytime you repair the aorta and there's an anastomosis involved, you can get a leak and a pseudoaneurysm. So this is a a pseudoaneurysm at the um, anast proximal anastomosis for an abdominal aortic graft. Um, you can see this blob of contrast, and then you can see this big leakage. You go, if you look at the bottom right-hand image, you can see there's a huge amount of retroperitoneal blood. Um, so this is uh, basically a patient's bleeding out from uh, a rupture of their aorta at the anastomotic site. Um, so moving on from leaks, other post-operative complications we look for, uh, mediastinitis, so this is infection of the post-operative um, fluid. You know, a lot of times you get this post-operative seroma and hematoma, and it can get infected. And what we look for is that the, uh, again, that fluid is increasing, maybe there's new gas bubbles, um, but um, in this case you can see that there's a certain amount of fluid in the immediate post-operative phase with some gas bubbles on the uh, five days later image, you can see that the gas bubbles actually resolved, but the amount of fluid has increased and the fluid's heterogeneous. And so this patient actually had mediastinitis. Um, a dramatic example of that um, and, and what can happen with mediastinitis is shown here. This patient actually had uh, a mediastinitis that led to a sternal infection and that sternal infection led to a dehiscence, which then uh, secondarily involved the um, chest wall. So you can see this pec muscle is gigantic and, and enlarged here because of all that inflammation and infection. So outside of infection, other things that I touched on, uh, coronary osteoaneurysms. So, so you can see the arrow showing a nice example here of coronary osteoaneurysms. And what happens here is patients who get a root repair, again, they need to reimplant the coronary artery origins. So they reimplant coronary artery origins, oftentimes with a cuff of native tissue around them. Um, the reason being is that helps prevent um, uh, strictures at the actual anastomosis. 
Um, and so they, they use that cuff of tissue to prevent stricturing. However, the native tissue, particularly if you're in somebody who has Marfan's disease or something like that, is often not normal tissue. And in a connective tissue disorder, that can dilate it and become aneurysmal. And so, so that's typically the scenario like what we see here, patients with patient with Marfan's, they got their aortic root replaced, they have the coronary arteries reimplanted, and then they get aneurysms at the reimplantation site. These generally are just followed over time. I've never actually seen them intervened upon. They seem to usually dilate a bit and then, then become relatively stable, um, but just something to keep an eye out for and, and be aware of. Okay, aorta antenoteric fistula. Um, this is an important complication, um, and there's two different versions that you may see. Um, the one most life, immediately life-threatening version is that the aorta itself is communicating with the uh, bowel, usually the um, third portion of the duodenum, and there's free, basically bleeding uh, from the aorta into the duodenum. And that type of communication is very rare for us to see in imaging because as you can imagine, this would be a very brisk bleed, um, and it would be a, a lot of bleeding. The patient would be extraordinarily um, uh, sick and hypotensive, and uh, a lot of times they're so bad off, they're not going to make it to the CT scanner to do imaging, but rather be um, either um, they're going to pass or they're going to be rushed off to, to the OR. Um, more commonly, what we're going to see is a secondary, or that's called a primary um, aortoenteric fistula. Usually what we're going to see is a secondary aortoenteric fistula, and this is exclusively happens in somebody who's had prior aneurysm repair with either a graft or with um, uh, an open repair with graft or with an endovascular repair. Because in both situations, you've got a graft surrounded by the native aneurysm sac, and so the communication is between the third portion of the duodenum and that uh, native aneurysm sac, which is surrounding your graft. Um, and so what you look for, what you see in the upper image, and this is um, from an article from one of our colleagues, uh, Shiva Rahman, who's, um, who uh, wrote this several years ago, um, summarizing several of these cases. And so you can see the, the main thing you look for is air within the aneurysm sac around the um, graft. Uh, itself and so if you see that and you're you know more than three months out from the surgery then that equals infection um, oftentimes you also get other findings some inflammatory stranding around the uh, aorta which I think you can appreciate on the bottom right hand imaging um, some fluid and the bowel may look tethered to the aorta here's another um, even more dramatic example from the same paper um, this patient I remember him coming in he was completely asymptomatic um, but had this very dramatic aortoenteric fistula where you can see a lot of air filling up the aneurysm sac and surrounding these um, uh, bypass uh, or um, the aorta uh, iliac graft limbs. Um, and, uh, and the patient basically had you know, this, this aortoenteric fistula um, and it needed to be replaced with an open repair. So last um, type of complication we want to make sure to keep an eye out for is new aneurysms. So this is kind of a satisfaction of search problem. Um, you, you want to make sure to keep an eye on the various grafts. Um, like in this patient with Marfan's, they have a graft replacing their descending thoracic aorta and a graft replacing their aortoiliac region. But then in the middle, 
um, around their mesenteric vessels, they've got this gigantic aneurysm, which is uh, enlarging over time. So not that anybody would miss this, but it's just something to keep in mind. You know, um, we always want to be paying close attention to not only the, the surgical changes, but then also what's going on with the native tissue as well. So that is my last slide, and so I just want to conclude that um, we talked about in the previous uh, talk some uh, CT techniques which will maximize the opportunity to detect aortic pathology. Um, so we want to make sure that when we're reading these scans, we really focus on identifying the um, endo, any endoleaks if they have a stent, and in, in the case of um, open repair, we want to look for these um, pseudoaneurysms and uh, potential areas of dehiscence and really keep a close eye on the perigraph fluid. Is it increasing? Is there air? Um, and that way we can detect any um, post-surgical complications in, in these patients. Um, and just want to acknowledge Pam Johnson who helps share some of the slide content. Uh, and uh, thanks for your attention.